0: Please, and uh, here's what I'm gonna do before I start with today's question. Um, some of you guys gave me some. So if you're if you're visiting with us, don't know what's happening. We um, every two years we do a series called Ask Anything, where we basically let our students ask questions of us, and we turn each of those questions into a talk. And so some of the questions, though, we really can't turn into a talk because they're just too out there, too abstract. And so. Um, some questions, though, I'm gonna be putting onto some kind of a blog where I can answer those questions on a blog that we can't answer in a sermon series. And so, um, but I wanted to read to you some of the, the funny questions that I got. Do you guys wanna hear some of the funny questions that we got? Do you wanna hear those? And, and my, my goal here is two parts. One is just to make fun of ourselves, but also, um, because usually the person laughing the loudest is the person that wrote the question. So I'm gonna try to detect who that person might be. Uh, so the first one that was I think kind of funny was, um, "What are hot dogs really made of?" And then they put, "Ew!" Like they put that at the end of that, right? So, which that's a great question because I have no idea what hot dogs are made. Do you guys know what hot dogs are made of? It's like a conglomeration of meats, which is scary. Cause you have no idea what's in there. It's like particle board. They just grind it all up and just put it in there. And it's yeah. Isn't it kind of gross that we like hot dogs? Do you guys agree with that? They they are disgusting. Have you guys ever been like eating a hot dog and be like, this is so good? They'd be like, this is actually really disgusting. You ever thought that? I have. I have. All right. So that was one question, and I could not tell who wrote that by the response. And then somebody wrote the question, just, what's up? That's it. It says, what's up? I think they were passing a note to a friend. That wasn't meant to be, I think, part of the deal. And then here's one. Um, Am I a man or a Muppet? I have no idea what that's about. Somebody having Sesame Street flashbacks. All right, here's one. Here's one. This is for the um, reflective, for the intellectual type, the academics in the room, the ones that make 4.0s. What is it like to be outside of time? Ooh, that's deep. That's deep. That's so deep. I have no idea. All right, here's one. They just wrote the word Mormons. What? Mormons, what even are they? That's not even like grammatically correct, I don't think. It's, let's just break this down. Like what grade are we in? Ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th what, what Okay, Mormons, what even are they? What even are they? Does anyone ever say the phrase, what even are they, ever in life? No one. Um, can you guys diagram that sentence, please? Wait, did you write this? Did you, did you write this? You, you admitted to it. You were like, that was me. Until you realize I was going to make fun of your grammatic error, right? Okay. We're going to do a question. One of these will make it, right? Mormons, what even are they? I think it's what are they. Just put take the even out of there. All right, uh, here's one. Uh, this All the um, cartoon lovers will love this one. Do you want to build a snowman? That was on there. That made the list. We'll relegate that one to the blog, okay? Alright, uh, another intellectual academic question with similar handwriting to the previous one that was also intellectual academic. How does one biblically explain the future predicting abilities of Nostradamus? No idea who wrote that. I've got some guesses though. And then here's the last one that I thought was funny. They just wrote the topic, kissing outside of marriage. And then in parentheses, or Mormons. That's all they wrote. So I'm confused. Is it like kissing Mormons outside of marriage? Or kissing outside of I'm confused because Mormons can marry a lot of people, so they can kiss a lot. I don't know. I don't know. So that's the um, the funny ones, the ones I thought were funny anyway. Hope you enjoyed that. So, um, listen, I want to give some incredible uh, props to Mrs. Ron Slavin last week for bringing it about racism. She did awesome. Um. I had a chance to listen to the podcast, and we actually put that online. So if you missed last week, so our first Ask Anything question started last week, and it was, basically the question was, um, why is it that even Christians are racist, right? And so we talked about, um, she discussed racism last week. And so you're going to see this whole series is going to be like one big grab bag, different topic every week um, for this series. And so that brings me to um, the purpose of this series, guys, is really to we want you to understand that the church should be a place where you can wrestle with questions, wrestle with doubt, wrestle with unbelief, because what I'm tired of seeing is people coming through the outback, coming through their high school ministry here, and then they get to college, and their faith explodes, because or their faith implodes, because they're just not prepared to deal with what they face out in the world. And I know you guys deal with the world here, where you're at in high school, but um, at times, though, you, you like to pretend... When you're in high school and just sort of skirt the major issues and not deal with stuff with your disbelief and your doubt. So we want to make sure this is a place, um, the church is a place where you can wrestle with those things, um, ask those kinds of questions, and so that's why we do this kind of series um, here at the Outback about twi- about every other year. Uh, so this brings me to, t- to today's question. So today's question is very different than last week. It is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Now. I'm going to admit something to you. When I saw that that was like week number two, I was kind of going, ah, "Okay, all right." So I have to admit that my flesh was not wanting to discuss this topic um, because it didn't seem like as controversial or as like you know stimulating as maybe last week's discussion. And so I have to admit, I was, I was kind of sitting there going, man, what am I going to talk about in relation to the Holy Spirit? And I want to make sure this is like helpful and good for you guys to listen to. And so as I was sitting there during the week thinking of, man, I really don't want to talk about this topic this week. And then I was, um, convicted by guess who? Mormons. How did you know? (laughs) One knocked on my door as I was saying, thinking that. Now, I was convicted by, guess who? The Holy Spirit! The Holy Spirit convicted me because I was sitting there going, man, like, how am I going to talk about this? Um, It's such a big, big topic. And so what I'm going to do today, guys, instead of me just, like, teaching you, I'm also going to include you quite a bit here. I'm going to actually have you guys be doing lots of scripture looking up and whatnot and reading and figuring some stuff out at your tables as well. But here's a little intro for you. Um, So the first question I want to get to is, first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? I want to give you some definitions so you know what we're working with this morning. If you're not a believer, not a Christian, we believe that, we do believe that God is one. We don't believe in like multiple gods, right? That's polytheism. We believe in, you know, we're monotheists. We believe there's, there's one God. Um, we also believe, though, that God is in three persons. It's not three gods. It is one God, three persons. It is God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe as Christians. So um put the uh the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal in nature. They're all three God, but they are distinct in their roles and their relationship. I'll unpack this further. The next slide says, so here's what the roles are for um the three people of the Trinity. The Father wills, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies the work of the Son. So again, it's it's these are all God. These are God is one; we believe in one God, but this is three distinct persons, three distinct roles um, in the Trinity. We call this the Trinity, um, which means three and so I want to define a problem for us as it relates to the Holy Spirit this morning because I think most of us you think being a Christian means that we believe a set of facts about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and once you believe those. Facts about Jesus that now you've got that nailed down intellectually and in your minds you think that my ticket to heaven is stamped and I'm good to go and that's kind of how you view the Christian life and this morning should be a reminder to you that that is not all that it means to be a Christian because the Bible is really clear whenever you and I put our faith and trust in Christ's finished work on the cross for our sins that we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually comes and indwells us as believers. God himself comes in and dwells us as believers once you put your faith and trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And this is not a temporary thing. We've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So a guy named Francis Chan, an author and a speaker, he wrote a book called Forgotten God, and this book is all about the Holy Spirit. And the main thrust of his book is that um it's crazy to think that Christians... um the Holy Spirit is the one person of the Trinity that we typically forget about. We we like to think of you know God being our Father, God being like a Father, or Jesus of course came to Earth. We have a, a mental image of what it means to be God the Father or God the Son, Jesus Christ. But so often, we don't have an image or a, a picture in our mind of what it means to be the Holy Spirit. And so so often, this is the part of God or this is the person of God that we tend to forget about and forget that he actually indwells us. I mean, I mean, how ironic is it that the the very person of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside each one of us, if you're a Christian, that that's the one that we forget about the most. The, the very God who dwells and lives with you, the Bible says that you're a, your body's like a temple, this is where the Holy Spirit dwells, that the very God who dwells in you, this is the one that we so often forget about, and relegate and just kinda go, you know what, even me this week, I don't really want to talk about that. Right? That that's just too out there. I'm not sure how I'll even address that. And so um I want you guys to move into, into some, some discussion right now. I want you to go ahead and do your questions uh we'll just do one through three at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, here's what I want you guys to do. Um, if you are done with questions one to three, move on to questions four and five, and get out your Bibles. I want everyone, like, looking at their Bible app or their Bibles. You're looking up verses. You're trying to answer the question at your tables, what role does the Holy Spirit play in our lives? So pick out, like, one quality in those passages, each passage, that you feel like the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. Go ahead and look up those passages, and we'll continue here in a moment. Alright guys, I'm going to look at these with you real fast, and I'm going to blow through these as quickly as possible, because I want to get to the very end so I can go over some misconceptions about the Holy Spirit as well. So when I say I'll go through them as quickly, that means I'll probably be here for an hour doing this, right? So look up on the screens, Acts 1, verse 8, and this is the key verse in all of Acts, this is the, the verse we keep coming back to in the Acts series in the main service, and Acts 1, 8 says... But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem And in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth and this is Jesus talking He's about to ascend to be with his father and he says these words to his disciples And so very clearly in this passage. What does it look like? The Holy Spirit does for us It's not hard to figure this one out Gives us power, right? So, um I mentioned a while back to you guys that you're gonna see why the disciples are gonna need that power because they are having to go into some very, very crazy places. Because Jerusalem sounds like a safe place to us, but it's where Jesus just got murdered. Right? Just got executed. And so Jerusalem's not a safe place. Even their hometown's not a safe place. Judea and Samaria are not safe places because Samaritans were hated by Jews and vice versa. So Samaria is not a safe place for them to go and spread the gospel. And so, um, and of course, to the end of the earth, that actually, what's really cool about that verse is that that includes us. Like, that verse actually includes Temple, Texas. Without saying it, of course, it includes Temple, Texas. And so here we are, like, on the receiving end of this verse, 2,000 years later, realizing the fulfillment of Acts 1-8 as you sit here in 2000, what year is this? 2015. And I lost count. And, and the Holy Spirit is at work, and His, His same power is at work. How many of you guys were in the main service today, over there? And the video at the beginning on, um, on the, the lady who had the abortion. I mean, Holy Spirit convicting someone, right? Holy Spirit at work. Holy Spirit transforming lives, changing lives by His power. Look down with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Acts 4, verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Holy Spirit gives us what? Boldness, right? So, most of us think of boldness as being rooted just in your self-confidence or personality. Most of us think, well, that guy or that girl, they're just bold in their personality. True boldness, the kind of boldness being talked about here, transcends personality, rises above personality because it's rooted in the Holy Spirit and his empowerment of someone as they share the gospel. And so you can really feel the tangible nature of this verse. Whenever you are needing boldness, speaking truth to someone in love, who do you pray to? You pray to the Holy Spirit, God give me boldness as I speak to this person about your gospel. Look with me at Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's a lot of mystery behind this verse because it's saying that the Holy Spirit somehow intercedes for me and you. So you, you had a friend say to you before, okay, I'll pray for you. You share a struggle, that I'll, I'll pray for you. Or they might pray for you right there on the spot. But this verse is saying that the Holy Spirit somehow goes between you and God the Father and God the Son and somehow intercedes for you on your behalf. I have no idea what this looks like. I don't pretend to. But it's amazing to me just to know that the Holy Spirit, God himself, it, the Holy Spirit is going to God the Father, God the Son, and interceding on your behalf before them. It's a, it's a very comforting thing when you think of that concept. Look at Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Holy Spirit gives us What? Holy Spirit gives us hope. And this might sound like, okay, another Bible word, hope, joy, peace, those, all those words kind of blend together, but I want you to really grab onto this idea of hope and how important it is for you, especially where you're at your stage of life. Um, many of you know my wife, Courtney, she's not here today, she's out doing something else, but she um, she is a counselor, that's her job as a counselor, and she, her primary job is to give people hope. So people come into her office, people who are depressed, like real um, depression, like clinical depression, or people come to her that um, teenagers that are either cutting on themselves or you can hear some extreme cases in this the, the workload that she has, but she has some people come into her that have some real life trauma that's taken place in their life, and many of them come to her and literally have no feeling of hope or no feeling of like this is going to get better or no feeling of... There's a God out there somewhere that cares for me. No feeling of that whatsoever. And her job, her primary job as a counselor, is to give people hope. That's her job description. And what's funny about that is she's a counselor. And what word do you think is used in the Bible for the Holy Spirit at times? Counselor. It is. Counselor. You're close. Counselor. Or the great comforter. The Greek word for that is called paraclete and it's, it means counselor or comforter. Someone who comes alongside. And so it's amazing to me that like the Holy Spirit indwells you and I, if you're a believer, he indwells you. And this being, this God being inside of you is the great counselor, is the great comforter for you. It does not mean that you don't need other people in your lives to play that role as well. But it does mean that you have the best comforter, the best counselor at your disposal at all times. This is, I think, a profound way to look at the Holy Spirit and his role in your life. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 to 13. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual so the Holy Spirit gives us understanding Again, this is not a small deal This is a really big deal because if you understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you understanding It creates a lot of humility in you because so many people Especially Christians like us are prideful about our faith Or we think that we're special because, you know, yeah, I've committed to Christ, and we have this arrogance or pride or superiority complex because we're a Christian. And if you really break it down, the only reason you're a Christian is because the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes and gave you understanding so that you could come to know Christ through faith. And so you'll begin to see that every element of knowledge, every element of Bible understanding is only because the Holy Spirit has opened up your mind, opened up your heart, and given you the ability to understand that passage, understand that truth. This should lead to great humility for Christians. And it should also lead to great understanding for people. If you're a Christian and you're burdened for unbelievers, it should lead to great understanding knowing that that person will only come to faith in Christ if the Holy Spirit opens up their eyes and allows them to understand these truths. Now, it does not mean that you're arrogant and saying, like, you know, I understand, they don't understand. It's not what it's about. It should lead to great humility and to great burden for the people that may not know him. This is the response it should lead to um, in your life. Look at John chapter 16, verse 8. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of sin. Just like me, earlier this past week, like I mentioned to you before, Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of sin. And so this sense of conviction that you and I have whenever we um, we sin against God, whether even before you're a Christian or even after you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is what is prompting us and convicting us, Of the sins that we have in our life and he's at work in you even before you become a Christian and so if you heard um, me tell my wife's story last week in the main service I told you that God was pursuing my wife when she was far from him she was doing the whole party scene she was into alcohol she was into drugs in high school and college and she was as far from him as she could possibly get wanted nothing to do with the church and somehow God just showed up in little glimmers, little convictions. I mean, she even told a story of, of being in downtown Dallas, Deep Elm. You guys know about Deep Elm? Don't go to Deep Elm if you're late at night. But anyway, if you get, if you go there, it's like, it's a big place for partiers in Dallas. And this is where she was. And she just saw one of those guys on the street corner, just holding a cross and a sign that said repent. And I'm sitting there thinking like, wait, wait, that's not supposed to work. Like, those guys, we don't like those guys, remember? Like, those guys aren't, we're not about that, right? But God used that guy, just standing there on the, on the street corner, to begin this process of conviction and this process of bringing her back to him. And so little glimmers, little ways in which God's um, messing with her conscience, and this is how God eventually brought her back. This is the Holy Spirit at work. She probably wasn't even a believer yet, and this is God bringing her back to him. This is how the Holy Spirit works and how he convicts of sin. And so I say those those five different points because I want you to understand something. That if, how do we know someone has the Holy Spirit? We know someone has the Holy Spirit if there's someone who lives a life of repentance. And there's someone who's convicted about sin. And they turn from sin, they turn towards Jesus in the midst of their sin. And this is where I want this to really convict us, including myself this morning, because many of us believe some just facts about Jesus intellectually. We we attend church, we do spiritual things, but we ignore the Holy Spirit when it comes to sin in our lives. We we tune him out when it comes to sin in our lives. And, And so we go through all these activities and stuff, but we easily forget about And we aren't convicted by, we don't allow him to convict us of our sin as we live out our lives. So um, I want to cover three main misconceptions about the Holy Spirit that I think many of us struggle with. And the first one is this. It's my job to grow myself and the Holy Spirit is just along for the ride. It's my job to grow grow myself spiritually and the Holy Spirit is just kind of in the background or along for the ride. This is how many of us approach our walk with Christ. And if I can give you an analogy, it's like this. Many of us try to grow ourselves spiritually by doing the, like, rowboat mentality, where it's all you just paddling away, and it's just, that's all it is, is your own strength, your own power. And that's one way to live. It's not the right way to live as a Christian, to try to grow yourself in your own power. But the sailboat mentality is a better picture of what it means to live by The Spirit. When when someone's in a sailboat, what happens? It's not them in their own power. Of course, the sail goes up, and the sail catches the wind. the sail catches this other power that's at work, and this is what is propelling them through the water. This is a picture of what it means to really live by the Spirit. That it's not like you're just sitting around doing nothing, but you're allowing yourself to yield to the wind yield to the spirit and he is going to be the power that propels you towards growth he's going to be the one who is sustaining you and 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 gives you that kind of life change one writer says this jerry bridges says spiritual tra- transformation is primarily the work of the holy spirit he is the master sculptor again this should lead to a place of great humility and dependence upon god Because you know that the power is not yours. It's His. That's the first misconception. The second misconception that we have is we say things like, I just wish I had more of the Holy Spirit in my life. I just wish I had more of God. Ever hear someone say that kind of thing? I know I have. I've probably said it myself many times. But many people say things like, I just want more of Christ, or I just want more of the Holy Spirit. Just give me more of God. I think even some of our songs say those kinds of things. Just give me more of God. And if you're a Christian, you can't get more of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get in your life. But there's a problem that many of us struggle with. Um... I think we, we kind of reverse the tables here, so I want to show you this next quote, and it's a, it's a long quote, so you may not be able to write the whole thing down, but just listen to this next quote by a guy named David Pryor. He says, and so instead of trying to get more of God, this is what he says, we should rather be allowing Christ to have more of us. We are the disintegrated ones. We are the ones that are not whole. We're the ones that are broken up. We're the ones that, are, that have issues, Right? We are the disintegrated ones whom Christ is gradually making whole so that we become more like him, integrated and entire. The same argument applies to wanting more of the Holy Spirit. If he is personal, a person, then we either have him living within us or we do not. Again, our desire and prayer should be for the Holy Spirit to have more of us. So you and I can't go through life as a Christian thinking, I need to have more of God, I need to have more of God, how can I get more of God? The deal is is that God needs to have more of us. We're the ones that are jacked up, we're the ones that are broken, we're the ones that are disintegrated, and we need to find ways to understand, ways to yield our life more to Him. Now it's possible to have the Holy Spirit, but not yield to Him. Not listen to Him. It's possible to ignore him, even if you have him. And this is the thing to be careful of as a Christian. The third misconception I think we struggle with is statements like these. I guess some people just have a more spiritual personality. You ever thought that about yourself? Like you see certain people and they just seem, we use words like, oh, that person. They are so filled with the Holy Spirit. They are so full of the Spirit. Like, I mean, this. let's be honest. I'll, I'll talk about this for a second, because she's not here. But, you know, Mrs. Ron Sleben, right? So, when you leave a conversation, don't you feel like, man, she just is so full of the Holy Spirit, right? You, you feel that sometimes, right, when you're talking to her about just any topic. And you might walk away and feel like, I don't feel like I have the same Holy Spirit that maybe someone like her has. Well, here's the reality. She's a believer. If you're a believer... You both have the exact same holy spirit there's not like a junior varsity holy spirit spirit for you okay the same holy Spirit is at work in each one of us is at work in each one of us and so um you you can't approach it like um, some people have a more spiritual personality versus um versus myself um, I want you to understand this morning that no matter your personality, um, there should be conviction about sin. There should be repentance. There should be a life of surrender. There should be a life on mission. These things are, fr- are fruits of um, someone who's got a Holy Spirit-filled life. And it's not going to always look the same. It's going to look different based on personality. But those things should be happening in your life if you're a believer. I want to have you read one last quote by Francis Chan. He says this. If we were somehow able to erase everyone's faces for a week, which that would be interesting, wouldn't it? And all you saw was a blur, would you be able to tell from their actions and lifestyle that they were followers of Jesus? If we could somehow erase your identity physically for a week, could someone tell by your lifestyle and actions that you're a follower of Christ, just by the way you're living your life, that your life's full of the Spirit, just by the way you're living your life? And as we come here to um, a close this morning, I want to just give you a picture of what I want to um, communicate this morning. Because the, the kinds of things we should see if the Spirit's at work in our lives, individually but also as a group, are we should see people coming to know Christ regularly in this youth group. And I don't know that that really happens a lot here. We got a lot of people that go to church, a lot of people that attend services, a lot of people that do stuff, but I don't know that I would say that we, we see a lot of people coming to know Christ here and surrender their life to Christ here, um, even here at our church. Happens sometimes, but I don't know if we see it a lot. And so, um, it makes, makes me ask the question, like, well, you know, TBC, like, we're, we're okay at filling up some rooms, filling up an auditorium. And we do like a little, you know, some food, nice little cool vibe, really good worship band. And we throw some questions at you guys weekly. But the question I'm I'm wrestling with now is, if the Holy Spirit's really at work, are people surrendering to him? Are people giving their lives to him regularly? We should also see people that are Christians being convicted about sin and repenting and saying, you know, I was walking in this direction in my life, and I was convicted by that, and I want to repent, I want to turn back to Christ. I'm a believer, but I really feel convicted about this sin in my life. We should see those kind of things regularly happening in the body of Christ, um, here in this group even. And we should see people that are hungry. Something else I struggle with as a pastor is that in myself as well, not just me looking at you, but are we hungry? Are we hungry for what's in this book? Are, are we someone who is willing to put everything else aside and say, I am going to do, no matter what it takes, I am going to spend time in this book understanding who God is, understanding what he's called me to do, understanding who he's called me to be as a Christian. And I don't know that I can answer that question in a positive way for myself much of the time. And I know the answer that must be the same for many of you. And so if the Holy Spirit's at work, are those things happening in us as a group and in us as people? You know, occasionally, uh, my wife, who is amazing, she will, um, you know, sit me down sometimes, and she'll have this real, um, I'd say once every few months, we'll have this conversation and this is going to be a little bit of a marriage lesson to many of you guys, so get ready. But um, so I often say things like, you know, Dave, I feel like we're just we're just kind of disconnected right now, like me and you. And as a guy, you you want to play the guy card and be like, I don't know what that means, right? I don't understand your your female lingo, your female language. And we want to play dumb, play the guy card. But deep down, I really know what she means. What she means is that. You know, we're doing okay. Like, nothing glared. There's no major issues to report, right, between she and I. But there's just a feeling of, like, we're not truly engaged to each other and really asking each other the hard questions or really conversing about important things. We're just kind of going through life. The kids are doing their thing, and we're trying to manage that and trying to manage life. And we're just going through life, and we're just a bit disconnected from each other. And when she asks me that question, she is right to ask that question because we're disconnected. And she's right to be sensitive about that that, that idea. And I want you to understand this one. That's similar to how it is in the spiritual life with the Holy Spirit because sometimes you might be doing okay spiritually. Everything's fine. There's nothing glaring to report. Nothing glaring going on in your life. No glaring external sin in your life to talk about. But if you're honest, you would say that you're feeling pretty disconnected from the Holy Spirit and from God. You're just going through the motions. You're just going through life. And it's those kinds of times that I want to encourage you. There is a Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But you might be tuning him out. You might be a bit disconnected from him. And I don't mean that like in a you're not saved kind of way. I just mean that in a you're just not listening to him. You're not stirring your affections for Christ and for the Holy Spirit. You're not putting yourself in a place where you're being led by him. And so I want you to be sensitive to that this morning as we kind of wrap. I'm going to pray for you, and I want you guys to finish up with your last two questions. Go, let's go ahead and pray. God, we just thank you for um, being a God who pursues us, being a God who wants to be part of our lives and be truly connected to us and truly in a relationship with us, Father. We thank you so much for the desire that you have for that in our lives. We pray, God, that if anyone here this morning does not know you, has never surrendered their life to you, Father, that you would convict them now, God, and and, and help them fall on their face before you, Father, through prayer and repentance and turn to you as their Savior. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Go into your last two questions, and you guys will be dismissed. Go ahead and discuss.